Good morning, familia. Let me start by praying. Lord, we are grateful that you speak through your word. Lord, we are grateful that we don't need to guess what you like and what you don't like, what you called us to be. We are grateful, Lord, that by the power of, of the Spirit, Lord, we have your word that makes it clear what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that as we open up Scripture this morning, by the power, the ministry, and the person of the Spirit, we may be able to understand, our affections may be transformed, and our will may be affected. So we live according to where you have called us to live. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, all right, good morning again. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at church. I want to welcome all of you here, whether you're worshiping with us in person or you're worshiping with us online. We are so glad that you are here with us. Today, we get to finish our 12-week series uh, called Gospel Culture, in which we have, we have been going through a, a, a list of different biblical traits that explains three things. Number one, what's a biblical church. Number two, it gives us a blueprint of the things that are necessary for us to believe in and practice in order for us to experience spiritual renewal. And number three, it gives us the tools necessary in order for us to remain faithful and fruitful in the midst of a changing society. Now, the video that we just saw was just amazing because we can see what the Lord is doing and what the Lord can do and what the Lord will do. The question we're going to ask, though, is what happened before all of that in order for that to happen? And I think that the answer is super simple. Part of the reason why we got to witness and see what the Lord is doing is because someone responded to the Lord's calling to become a disciple and number two, that disciple or those disciples decided to make more disciples. That's part of, that's the reason why we got to see the things that we got to see today. Therefore, today we're going to talk about biblical trait number 12, the commitment to make disciples. Now, why would I say that this is a biblical, uh, this is part of the biblical definition of what it means to be a church? It's because as a church, when you look at the New Testament, specific to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, when you look at the Gospels, when you look at the New Testament, you can see that no church should be content with just being a group of people that gathers every Sunday. That church cannot be content of having a lot of visitors come into our locations. That as a church, we cannot be content with just proclaiming the gospel and even seeing conversions. That's all good and amazing, but that is not the aim of the church. The church is called to something much bigger and much better. The, call, the church is called to be disciples and make disciples. Anything less than that is not a biblical church. Therefore, my prayer, my hope, is that as we close this series, we pay attention to everything we have talked about, but then at the end we see that all of that is about one thing. It's about becoming disciples and making disciples. Amen? 
So I need you to do me a favor just to make you feel uncomfortable. Don't worry. Look at the person next to you and ask the question, are you truly a disciple? Go ahead, go ahead. Now, the reason why I'm asking you to ask the question is because usually when we talk about Christianity, we don't talk in those terms. Like we introduce ourselves as anything and everything, but we never say, well, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to argue that that is the best way if you're a Christian, if you're truly a believer, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you want to live for his glory and the well-being of others, if that is a description of who you are, you should call yourself a disciple. If not, I want to show you, based on Matthew 28, what a disciple is and what a disciple is not. So these are the three things that we're going to talk about today. We're going to see that a disciple is one with a new priority. Can you say new priority? One with a new purpose. Can you say new purpose? And one with a new trust. Can you say new trust? Let's go with the first one. A disciple is one with a new priority. If I were to summarize everything that we see at the end of chapter, Matthew chapter 28 with one word, I would use the word commissioning. See, commissioning within the context of the church is when a group of people can see what the Lord is doing in someone and what the Lord is calling someone to do. And it's a public recognition and public declaration that the Lord is commissioning this person for something. This is part of the reason why some churches commission pastors or ordain pastors and ministers. Uh, this is part of the reason why we commission, uh, even as a church, we commission missionaries before we send them out. So commissioning is a big deal. It's an important thing. And I think that what Jesus is doing here is doing nothing less than commissioning his disciples and therefore commissioning his church after the disciples. Part of the reason why I say that this is so important is because this uh, commissioning takes place in a mountain. You can see that in verse 16. It says that then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now, for, for us, it might be, well, what's special about a mountain? But if you pay attention to the Gospel of Matthew, and actually to all the Gospels, you would see that every time there's a mountain involved, something special happens. Special revelation or God divinely, it's a divine appointment or something or something happens that we should never forget. And what we see here is Jesus commissioning his church, commissioning his disciples to do two things. To become a disciple and to make disciples. Now I'm going to show you how I, why I say that in a second, but the, the reason it is super simple. You cannot make disciples if you are not a disciple. But you cannot say that you are a disciple if you are not making disciples. That's super simple. Let me say it again because I don't even know what I just said. It just sounded super good. If you want to make disciples first, you got to be a disciple. But if you are a disciple, you cannot say that you're a disciple if you're not making disciples. Tweet it. Super simple. Therefore, it's extremely important that we understand First, us hear what a disciple is. You can only reproduce what you are. And the first thing that you're going to see, actually I think that is the concept that puts everything together here, is that a disciple is a person that understands that Jesus and believes that Jesus is not just a Savior, but a Lord. Let me make that clear. 
A disciple is someone that truly, truly understands and believes that Jesus is not just our Savior, but that he is our Lord. This is the reason why Jesus says in verse 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Notice how intentional Jesus is, is, is about using the word or the phrase, all authority. That's where we get the word Lord. Jesus is saying, I have all authority on heaven and on earth. There's nothing that has more authority than what I have. Everything belongs to me and everything submits to me. Jesus is saying that a disciple understands that there could only be one Lord, Jesus or us, but it cannot be both. Did you catch that? Jesus says that there's only one Lord, either him or us. We don't get to do the 50-50% thing. We don't get to say, well, Jesus, you rule in these areas, but I get to rule in these areas. We don't get to say, well, Jesus, I give you these areas of my life, but these, these areas I cannot give you. I cannot say to Jesus, Jesus, as a disciple, I get to submit to some parts of the scripture and other parts, I'm not just yet. That's not a disciple. That might be someone that likes Christianity, is attracted to Christianity, finds Jesus attractive somehow, but you cannot call that person a disciple. Because a disciple understands that Jesus is Lord over everything we are, everything we have, and everything we do. That's the lordship of Jesus Christ. A Christian should always ask the question, is Jesus truly my Lord? Am I truly following Jesus in everything he says I ought to follow? Is Jesus truly my priority? This is part of the reason why I use the word priority. When Jesus is Lord, he is your priority. When Jesus is Lordship, is, uh, when he's, he exercises Lordship over everything you are, then he is your priority. Have you ever wondered why is it that Jesus sometimes seems to be a little bit too aggressive in the New Testament? Listen, you remember when he called his disciples? I want you, next time you read that, pay attention how he called his disciples. He did not promise beautiful, amazing things. This is his call to his disciples. Drop everything. Follow me. And modern people will be like, uh, uh, I'm sorry, what? And Jesus says it. Drop everything and follow me. I am the ultimate authority about everything you are, everything you have, and everything you do. A disciple is nothing less than that. We don't get to have a half-committed relationship with Jesus. We don't get to have, to have a half-surrendering life to Jesus. We don't get to have a fragmented Jesus, church. Listen now, because this is the most loving thing I could tell you. Either, either we take Jesus as a whole, or we don't take him at all. Actually, I have a little bit more respect for people that say, I'm a full-blown Christian. I'm not a Christian at all than someone in the middle. You know why? Because we know what a full-blown Christian believes. We know what a, what a non-believer believes. 
but I really don't know what people in the middle believe. Because it's like, you know, picking and choosing the parts of Jesus that I want. So let me say it again. As a disciple of Jesus, you take Jesus as a whole or you don't take him at all. Let me use a couple of illustrations that Tim Keller used um, a few years in one of his sermons about uh, um, a specific lady that really helped him change the way he thought about the lordship of Jesus. Uh, the name of this teacher was Barbara Boyd, and as she's talking about this topic, she says that when we think of Jesus, that, that the culture usually, uh, or, or not committed Christians, if you will, will look at Jesus the same way people will look at her with her name and her last name, Barbara Boyd. And this is what she says. If you want to accept me, if you want to welcome me into your life, you don't get to choose Barbara or Boyd. You got to take Barbara Boyd. Because Barbara Boyd is a description of who I am. I will use the same example for me right now. My name will be Hannibal Rodriguez. You don't get to like Hannibal more than Rodriguez. You don't get to like Rodriguez more than Hannibal. Either you take Hannibal Rodriguez or you don't take nothing at all. And she said, if that is true of us as human beings, that is even more true when it comes to Jesus as Savior and Lord. It is impossible for anybody to say, I have surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I accepted him as my Lord, as my Savior, but I'm just working on, I'm still working on the Lord part. We don't get to do that, church. That's not a disciple. You might like Jesus, we might find him attractive. Maybe you're not ready yet. Maybe just maybe you're not ready yet. But you don't get to... You don't get to have a half-committed relationship with him. And then she uses a second illustration. And she argues that part of the reason why many people have this issue of surrendering their complete life to Jesus in all spheres of life is because we forget that Jesus is God. So she makes the argument that this God I created the universe, and I don't have a lot of time to explain all of this, but she says, when you look at the universe, how magnificent it is, how big it is, how vast it is, and when you look how tiny our planet is compared to the rest of the universe, she says, you got to pay attention to that because all of that was created by God and is sustained by God. And after making that case, she says, that's not the kind of God that you ask or you invite into your life to be your personal assistant. Then you, can you see the irony of it? Here we profess with our mouth that God is cre the creator of everything, that God sustains everything, that God, by the power of his word, created everything there is. And then we say, hey, God, I want you to help me here, but not here. Thank you very much. We don't get to ask God to be our personal assistant. We submit to God because he is God. God. Yes, he's your friend. Yeah, he's your partner. Yeah, he's everything you want to put there. But he's God. Nothing less than that will qualify for, uh, for being a disciple. And what Jesus is going to do with the rest of verse 19 and 20 is explain what the lordship of Jesus looks like in our personal lives. It's almost like an application. 
If Jesus is Lord, this is what happens. And he tells us something, a couple of words, key words in verse 19. He says, therefore, and go, can you say go? And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those two words are important. Let's go with the first one there, with the second word, baptizing. Because a disciple is someone that knows that you ought to make a public confession that you are a follower of Jesus. See, baptism is not just a religious celebration. Baptism is a public identification, public declaration, public confession that we are followers of Jesus, that we died and resurrected with Jesus, that he is my Savior and my Lord. There's no reason why Christians should be ashamed of being called Christians. That's one of my struggles with modern-day Christians, just so you know. We're always trying to find a way so we are not offensive. Yeah, you, you know what? I believe in Jesus, but I'm a different kind of Christian. No, you're a Christian, bro. No, 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 yeah, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus, but not like those people because I'm a different kind of guy. You know what's the irony of it? Secular people do not respect half-hearted people. Secular people do not trust people that are not clear about what they believe. You know who invented this thing about that we should be careful? Christians! So listen, the best thing that you could be, this is what I learned, the best thing that you could do when you're a Christian is to say, I'm a Christian. And when people say, why do you do the things you do? Why do you go to Africa? Why do you do these things? Well, because I'm a Christian. Why do I go to church? People ask me, because I'm a Christian. Why do I read the Bible? Because I'm a Christian. Why do I believe in community? Because I'm a Christian. Why do I pray? Because I'm a Christian. Why do you put my faith in Jesus? Because there's no way to, to be a Christian without it. So a few years ago, Heidi and I, my wife and I, we, we experienced something like this. So in one of the, visiting a family member that is not a Christian just yet. Um, but we, we started talking about giving and money. And you know that money is always an issue inside the church and outside the church. So I don't know how, but my wife started saying, sharing how is it that we as Christians have always uh, sustained the church financially because we believe in the concept of tithing. Right? You don't have to believe in that, but you might not be a Christian. So, <laughs> that is so wrong. That is so wrong. <laughs> so, we, we're talking to our family member about this, and, and then he asks, he says, wait, yeah, yeah, you guys give like, a, like some money like that, right? Like some, like change. And, we, and Heidi says, no, we give 10% of what we make. Actually, we, well, it doesn't matter, but we gave 10 I was going to brag a little bit, but I'm not, because I'm a Christian. Uh, he said, 10%? You should have seen his reaction. And this is someone that we love and love us. And he says, 10%? That's a lot of money. So my wife went for about 20 minutes explaining the biblical principles and why we give. This is what I learned. It didn't matter. <laughs> because he believes something completely different. 
And this is why I find hard with some of the Christians trying to be nice and find, you know, going around the block, saying, not using offensive words, and instead of being blunt about what we believe. You know why? Because if they're not going to like you, they're not going to like you after the explanation anyway. We live in a culture that is blunt about their beliefs. You and I ought to be blunt about what we believe. The difference, though, is that we do it with respect, gentleness, and love. If you can do those three, don't say anything, please. (laughs) See, a disciple is someone that is not ashamed of identifying with Jesus. Did you know that Jesus was not ashamed of identifying with you? That's why he went to the cross. Second thing that we see in this text is that a disciple understands the concept of going. You guys remember another person in the Bible in which God called called to go or to leave. Doesn't that remind you of Abraham? You know, he has his little house. He lives in West Chicago or Carroll Stream or Glen Ellen and Wheaton. And he had everything set. And the Lord called them to go and leave, and to leave anything that was familiar and safe. Now listen, that word go can easily be applied to people being called by God to go to a different part of the world. That applies there. But the word of calling from the Lord is to be willing to sacrifice and surrender, surrendering anything for his glory and his purposes. A disciple understands that God called his people to live, in, uh, to live for him, to be willing to sacrifice whatever we need to sacrifice, to be willing even to uh, sacrifice personal fulfillment for the glory of his name and the well-being of others. There is no such a thing, a disciple, that is not willing to sacrifice anything. A disciple knows the cost, counts the cost, and surrenders to it. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. And his glory is much more important than your own personal happiness. This is the crazy thing, that the more we live for him, the more fulfilled you feel. What is the chief man of, chief end of man, says one of the confessions? To know God and enjoy him forever. And to know him is to be willing to surrender everything for him. See, a disciple is not ashamed of who he is. A Christian and a disciple is willing to surrender anything that might be hindering his relationship with Jesus. In verse 20, we see three more things. He tells us that a disciple is a learner, someone that applies, and someone that grows gradually. Jesus says, go uh, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Why would I say that a disciple is a learner? It's because that's why we have the word teaching there. Part of what it makes a disciple a disciple is that he's always wanting to learn. 
Learn about the character of God, the nature of God, the likes and the dislikes of God, the laws of God, the principles of God, the heart of God, the desires of God, and the plans of God. There is no such a thing as a disciple that is not, that doesn't have this eager desire to know his God more. Because the more you know him, the more you love him, and the more you love him, the more you surrender to him. There is, there, it is simply impossible for a Christian to call themselves a disciple and not want to know the Bible, doctrine, and theology. Did you know that our Christianity, some people called it in the first century the bookish religion? Because it's about learning who God is, what he wants, what he doesn't want, what he likes. What makes a difference, though, about any other learner and a disciple that is a learner is that the disciple wants to learn, not just to learn, but they want to learn to apply. That's why the, the verse uses the concept of obey. Listen, anybody that wants to have a relationship with anybody else, like a meaningful relationship with anybody else, will want to learn what the person likes, so those likes modify the way you live. Yeah, culture says the opposite. You got to fix yourself so I could accept you. Christianity says, no, I'm going to get to know who you are so I could be modified for you. Oh, I know that's crazy, but that's what the Bible says. Any meaningful relationship, and this in includes God. If you really want to love somebody and know, you want to love somebody, you not only need to know that person, but need to be willing to be modified for that person. So, for example, let me use Heidi again. Since she's not here, we could talk about her all day. <laughs> when, when I first started my relationship with Heidi, I became a student of her, right? And there's, right from the beginning, I learned two things about Heidi. Number one, I learned that she couldn't take her eyes off me. <laughs> she was, like, obsessed with me or something. I learned that, so I took advantage of that. Second thing I learned is that Heidi liked Mickey Mouse. Oh. <laughs> so you know what I did on prom night? I got myself a vest with a bunch of Mickey Mouse faces in it. Uh, that was ridiculous, I know. But it worked. <laughs> you know why? Because if Mickey Mouse was important to her, I had to be willing to be modified for her. If that is true at a horizontal level, don't you think that it's even more true at a vertical level? How do, we call, how do we claim to know God and not be willing to be modified by who he is and what he wants? There's no true relationship with Jesus. There's no true discipleship unless you are willing to be modified by the person you love. A disciple here in this text says that he's a learner. That is an applier, but it's also a person that knows that needs to grow. You know where I get that from? From the word everything. It says, teach them everything. You know that if you really want to learn everything, you know that that doesn't happen fast, right? You know, in our culture, that is a superlative culture and a microwave culture. Everything here in our society is epic. Radical, awesome, supersized, fast, now. 
And somehow we transfer those principles to discipleship. And I want to make the argument that when Jesus says that we ought to teach everything, he's talking about an intentional, gradual growth into the image of Christ. That discipleship is a lifelong journey. It's the long obedience in the same direction, Peters, uh, Eugene Peterson uh, used to say. This is part of the reason why discipleship, a relationship with the Lord, is never ever described in the Bible as running. It's always as walking. You want to grow? Stick around with Jesus. And you will grow. You want to grow fast? Sorry. Stick around with Jesus. And you will grow. Discipleship is not about you mastering four, five, six, seven things. Discipleship is not about check marks here, 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 and there. Discipleship is about embracing the lordship of Jesus and be willing to be modified by him and be willing to go whenever he asks us to go and surrender whatever we need to surrender. Discipleship is about always learning more, 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 and more. Discipleship is about learning and applying more, more, and more, and more. Discipleship is about dying and living more, more, and more. Discipleship is about this constant, intentional, never walking away commitment to Jesus. A disciple understands that. So that kind of gives you the definition of what a disciple is. But I told you at the beginning that a disciple is not only a person that understands what a disciple is, but a disciple is also a person that has a new purpose in life. And for this one, I want to invite one of my brothers here at church, actually the newest member of the church, um, to talk about this, and I'm just going to ask him a few questions. Before we do that, though, I want to remind you what Jesus called us to be. Not just to be disciples, but he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Can you say, make disciples? A true disciple is a disciple maker. So I want you to please welcome Brent to the front. If you don't know who Brent is... All right, Brent is uh, in the church. He, he plays the role as executive pastor of ministry. And basically, he's in charge of overseeing all of our ministries and different leaders and pastors and ministers that oversee the different ministers from uh, children all the way to whenever the Lord takes them home, right? All right, so um, let's talk about purpose. All right, so here's a question for you. Uh, can you give us a definition of what's up a disciple-making person, if you will? Yeah, well, first of all... What's disciple making? I'm sorry, I changed the question. Notes don't mean anything to me. So, (laughs) what is disciple making? So, disciple making is the whole process of what God is doing in the transformation of our lives. Uh, From beginning with with the winning of the lost, as He draws our hearts to Him through the gospel message, uh, to growing as a believer as we begin to know more about Him, to being trained and equipped as a, as a worker, uh, that serving him and understanding what it means to be a disciple, and then also the sending out of the mature disciple, reproducible disciple maker. And so it expands the entirety of our lives. And so we're always involved in disciple making. So if that is true then, how do we become that more and more? How do we become disciple makers? 
I think the key with it is, is as a disciple maker, we are intentionally entering into relationships to reproduce disciples. I mean, we have so many opportunities and relationships in our lives, both inside the church and outside the church, and a lot of times I think we, we miss those opportunities because they're not intentional with the opportunities and the conversations we have. And to be a disciple maker means we're intentionally entering into them to point people towards the truth and to follow Christ and to become ultimately reproducing disciples themselves. So what we don't want as a church is for this to become kind of a program, right? Mm -hmm. So what is the relationship between disciple making and the culture of the church? Well, I think you said it well as we talked about. This is the 12th of our gospel culture series, but uh, disciple making is gospel culture. Uh, they, you can't have one without the other. You can't be a disciple without the gospel, and you can't fulfill the, the mi mission of the gospel without being a disciple maker. So they're integrated in all that we do. All right, so one of the things that I've been saying as I introduce uh, some of the sermons is that this gospel culture uh, would also help us uh, become or remain faithful and fruitful. Mm -hmm. uh, would you say that disciple making is one of the evidences of being faithful and fruitful? I think disciple-making is one of the key evidences. We see uh, many evidences of spiritual maturity, but specifically when it comes to disciple-making, I believe uh, Peter says it in 1 Peter the best, that we do all of this so we, become, so we would not become ineffective or unfruitful. I think so many times we've bought into the idea that we can be an effective disciple without discipling others. Mm. or being involved in a discipleship relationship. And that's not what Christ says. That's not what he calls the disciples to. And so I think a key evidence of seeing fruitfulness and faithfulness in our lives is are we engaged in disciple-making relationships? So let me throw you a different one there. Um, so if a disciple is also a disciple-maker, would you agree that then to be a disciple and a disciple-maker will have to... Uh, embrace both the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, would you say? Well, I, I, it all speaks from the gospel there. The Great Commandment is to love God and to love one another. If we love God and have a desire with, with a relationship with Him and we love others, we want them to know that. And so we want to engage them in the gospel message. And that's where uh, Matthew 28 and the Great Commandment comes, that we are to be going, making disciples, that uh, gospel proclaiming, uh, that gospel baptizing, and that gospel reproducing. Amen. Everybody, we give him a round of applause. Thanks, Brent. So we talked about, we, we already said that a disciple is someone with a new priority. The new priority is to submit everything to the Lordship of Jesus. We, we just talked about that a disciple is someone with a new purpose. And the new purpose is not only to be a disciple, but to make more disciples. And number three, just to finish it up, a disciple is always someone uh, with a new trust. This, and this is what I want you to see. The way the text is structured is extremely interesting. Because in verse 18, the Lord says something. And then he gives a description of what a disciple is. And then at the bottom, he gives something else. And what I want to show you is that what happens in verse 18 and in verse 20 is both the motivation and the empowerment for any of us, not only to become disciples, but to want to make other disciples. Let me show it to you. In verse 18, he says this. Then Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Pay attention to that. That's what he says at the beginning. 
Then in verse 19, gives a description of what a disciple is. And then in verse 20, he says, Surely I am with you always to the very end of age. And these two things are the two things that you need in order for you to remain faithful and fruitful. These are the two things that will actually make of you a disciple that is making other disciples. At the beginning, Jesus says to, the, to his disciples and to us, the church, I am sending you into the world to make disciples, yes. But you are not going into the world with your own efforts or abilities or strategies. No, you are going into the world with the reality that everything in this creation belongs to me. That everything in this creation submits to me. That I have all authority on heaven and on earth. You know why is that so important? Because there's nothing for us to be afraid of. There's no reason why Christians should be afraid of any culture changes. There's no reason why we should run like crazy when things get ugly out there. There's no reason why we should be afraid of anything or anybody. Because as we go into the world to make disciples, we are going under the umbrella of, of the authority of Jesus. That Jesus is king even though people can't see it. That everything eventually will submit to him. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's quoting Daniel chapter 7. In which the prophecy that Daniel said in Daniel chapter 7 was precisely that. That one day, everybody, every people, nation, and language, one day will have to recognize that Jesus is Lord. That one day, everyone in the world is going to have to kneel before Jesus, either as a savior or as a judge. And then Daniel 7 says that all dominion, all his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom will not be destroyed. You know what that means? That it doesn't matter how much we mess up in this world, the church never goes away. It doesn't matter how, many how much persecution we face. It doesn't matter how much you're rejected. It doesn't matter how much people don't appreciate you. It doesn't matter how much the culture continues to change. It doesn't matter how secular we become, which is so ironic because we have always been secular. It doesn't matter how things get ugly. This verse tells us that there's no reason why Christians should run like crazy people. Everything will submit to Jesus. And his kingdom will not be destroyed. And the second thing he says is that as he sends us into the world, we're not going alone. He's going with us. It's not about you. It's about him working in you and him being with you. This is the crazy thing for me is when I, when I think of Christianity going like crazy, like if we were losers in this world, we forget that even in the midst of pain, even when we are in a den of lions, Jesus is there. It doesn't matter how many lions come around. It doesn't matter how hot the fire is. It doesn't matter how many people die or don't die. 
at the end of the day, we are never alone. You are never alone when you are encouraged, and you are never alone when you are discouraged. You are never alone when you feel strong, and you're never alone when you feel weak. You're never alone when you feel that you want to laugh, and you're never alone when you feel that you need to cry. You are never alone when you are rejected, and you are never alone when you are welcome. You are never alone when you see the fruit of everything that you're doing, and you don't see the fruit of everything that you're doing. You are never alone even when you feel lonely. Because Jesus is with you. That's the motivation and the power. And how about if I tell you that there's one more thing that should empower you to live out your Christianity as a disciple? That the same Jesus that has all authority, the one that had the power to overcome demons, heal the sick, forgive sins, overpower nature, and conquer death, is the same Jesus that was willing to surrender his power to go to the cross. Do you know why? Here. You know how I told you that the disciple has one priority? God, his lordship, his glory, his purposes. Jesus also had a priority. Actually, it was a double priority. His number one priority was the glory of the Father, to do everything for the glory of the Father. But there was a second priority. You know what the second priority was? You. Wasn't that the reason why he was willing to be modified? When he went to the cross. Wasn't that the reason why he was made to, uh, for him to be completely changed? To go to a cross. Isn't that the reason why Jesus came and suffered and wept and went to the cross and died like a criminal? Because in the middle of his heart was God the Father and you as his children. And you as his brothers. And you as his sisters. See, nobody has ever loved you that way. Actually, we cannot love anybody that way. Only Jesus can. And he did. You want to become a disciple? Look at what Jesus' priority was. You want to make disciples? You want to show other people what Jesus' priority was. The saving of a human soul, an eternal relationship with him. And this is part of the reason why we participate in communion, you know? So I'm going to ask you to grab your cup, and as you do that, I'm going to ask you to remove this, the first layer of it. And I want to remind you that communion is a celebration for Christians. This is for you if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. If you already believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other way to the Father except through him, this celebration is for you. If not, I'm going to ask you to really consider what you have been hearing today, and I'm asking you to surrender your life to him. If you do that, this celebration is for you. If you're not willing just yet, I would recommend you wait. You really want to see Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Now, before participating here, I'm going to ask you to examine your hearts. And I would just ask you to ask yourself one question. 
Am I really submitting my life to Jesus' Lordship? Let's take a few seconds and allow the Holy Spirit to help you understand or answer that question. Let's take the bread. And 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body, which is for you. You may participate. Now let's remove the second cover of the cup. And if you ever wonder if Jesus' priority was the glory of God and your well-being, then listen to what Jesus said here. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You may participate. You may be wondering, why is it that as a church, 12, took 12 weeks to talk about all these things? Why is it that we talked about the supremacy of the scripture, the centrality of the gospel, the power of prayer, the pleasure of worship, the pursuit of the common good, the significance of leadership, the practice of the means of grace, the, the discipline of generosity, the urgency of evangelism, the priority of community, the beauty of diversity, and the commitment to go and make disciples. Why would we talk about that? Because as a church, not only we want to be a biblical church, but also we want to experience, if the Lord grants it, some sort of a spiritual revival. I want to see a revival. I want to see a whole generation of people that live and die for Jesus. I want to be a disciple that lives and dies for Jesus. I want to do it for the glory of Jesus and your well-being. I want to do it for the glory of God and the well-being of my family. I want to do it because I want my life to count. You know why? Because Jesus bought me with his precious blood. Don't you want to respond to that? So I'm going to ask you to please stand and respond to the Lord in adoration.